Good afternoon, everybody. Um, Carlos is making a run for the border, it looks like. Um, actually, he's going to go look for Austin. If you know Austin, you know that's a big job. He's easy to find, but you've got to know where to look. All right, it, this is a Q&A session. He's not there, huh? All right, good. It's you and me. Um, this is a session on uh, pastoral and lay elders, um, practical perspective on the relationship and the functions of um, um, pastors and lay elders. How many of you were in yesterday afternoon's Q&A? Oh, no. We have to come up with new material today. Okay, it was a great time. So you know the spiel I'm about to give you. Um, we titled the session thinking we knew where the session's going. The reality is it is up to you. Um, uh, your questions are going to um, dictate uh, what we talk about today. So we can talk for the, for the full hour about pastors and lay elders in that relationship, um, or we can go whatever direction you want to go, okay? So I want to help you by giving you a little bit of instruction again. This is the second time through for you. Um, I apologize, but it's important on how to ask a good question. And if you remember from yesterday, Austin, come on up. Let's hear it for Austin Duncan. Please hold your applause till the end. <laughs> all right. So how to ask a good question. First of all, please don't tell stories. Um, we are very, very interested in your story, um, and afterwards, we'll be in the hallway to, to um, meet with you individually if you want to talk about your story. But when you ask a question, if you could condense it down to a question, just a mi one minute, and I'm going to tell you this now so that you're not personally offended if I do this to you, but if you're having a hard time articulating the question, um, I'm, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to say, we'll come back to you, and please don't be embarrassed by that, um, and I will come back to you, or I'll just state where I think your question is going, and, and we'll answer that question. Okay? Quick question, Chris. Quick, quick question. So when I was in fifth grade in Albuquerque. <laughs> Careful, your dad's over here. He, he knows whether you're asking. Uh... You're supposed to say I'll come back to you. Oh, you haven't hit a minute yet. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you, Austin. Um, the other thing to think about is, is the question you're going to ask, um, is it going to be helpful to more than just you? Okay, uh, minister to the other men in the room and the, uh, the 10 or, t or 12 people that might listen to this recording um, when it's posted. A couple of you asked me about that because I mentioned it yesterday. Um, I think all the sessions are posted on the Internet probably in about a week or two. Okay, so you can't run out and re-listen re to it tonight. Um, but you'll be able to access it in about a month, okay? I'm going to be repeating and, and condensing all the questions, so when you get done asking it, it's for you guys to know also, I need to repeat it so that it gets recorded so that the conversation that happens after that makes sense for the recording. The topic today is extraordinarily important. We're talking about the leadership of the church. Um, the, uh, the leadership of the church, if it's unified, um, will lead to a unified church. If the leadership is not unified, um, it is the beginning of a church split. It's that serious, and we believe that. We've seen that many, many times, um, and the unity of pastoral and lay elders is dependent on a, on a humble service-based relationship between men who are very busy and are involved in the ministry. Um, the Bible um, sees no distinction between a pastor and an elder. That's foundational, um, and there is no biblical definitional difference between a lay elder and a pastoral elder. 
But there are many, many, many practical differences, right? And that's probably what we need to talk about today. And I'm um, grateful for the men who are up here who are going to provide the answers. Um, Carlos Chung um, on the end over there is um, um, very involved in the ministry here at Grace Church. He's on the elder board. Um, he understands the priority of his work. He is a judge um, in, uh, in, Los, in the Los Angeles area, and he does, um, I don't know how he does all the ministry he does here at Grace Church. It's pretty extraordinary. You know Austin Duncan probably. He leads our college and young adult ministry and uh, deals with, in that context, the hornet's nest of seven or eight lay elders that you've got to deal with. Yeah, on a daily basis. Poor guy. All right, so um, we'll let you guys introduce yourselves, Carlos, if you could, and and uh, Austin, if you could give them some context, what kind of work you do, how much of that work you have to do, and then what kind of ministry you're involved in. Um, hello, men. My name is Carlos Chung. I, I do serve as a judge here in LA County. That's my full time job. Um, so it, it's pretty much a, a eight thirty to four thirty job Monday through Friday which leaves the rest of my time for family and for ministry here at Grace. I um, serve alongside a staff elder. His name is Rich Gregory, and we both co-pastor a fellowship group of about 260. So our responsibilities would be preaching and counseling and, and whatever else goes along with that. And you shine shoes. And I shine shoes on occasion. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, my name is Austin Duncan, and I'm the college pastor at Grace. Yeah, I've been here since 2005 and finished seminary in 2009 and became a part of the elder board. I've had the privilege of serving in different ministry capacities at the church. I worked in our outreach department for the first few years until uh, one of the elders rescued me from administrative death and uh, moved me over to student ministries. Uh, that man is named Chris Hamilton, and some of his henchmen were involved in that miraculous rescue SEAL team style. And they put me in the basement, which is where we keep student ministries here, not out of a reflection of our priorities, uh, but just because it's one of the spaces we safety. use. Safety. Safety. It's mostly for safety. So I worked as, as our junior high pastor for a brief time, and then our high school pastor left to go plant a church, start a church, and I did that for four years, and then I've been in doing ministry to our university students and young adults for the last six years, working with a variety of, of elders uh, in our church, lay elders, staff elders, staff elders during the week, lay elders on, on Sundays, and in different ministry capacities. So, and What's your day job? I, my day job is college pastor. I, it's my main thing. I have a side hustle. Some people drive Uber. I work at the seminary. So <laughs> I direct our DMIN program, and I lead our pastoral ministries department. So very, my, very my busy side man. Hustle. Yeah, very busy man. And four kids. Yeah, really cute kids. Yeah, because I have a beautiful wife. Fortunately, they got her looks, right? They, they did. Okay. That was what I was implying. All right, let's get <laughs> just helping there. Wanted to make sure we got that. Right. First question right here. As a staff elder, I've been guilty of running ahead of all of the elders with other staff elders sure. making decisions or implementing decisions yeah. and not Okay, so has that ever happened here? Never. So let me see if I get this right, because yeah. this is so foreign to me. Um, 
staff elders making decisions, moving, uh, making turns, uh, whatever, and forgetting to inform the lay elders, neglecting to inform the lay elders. Go. Either of you. I mean, that happens all the time here. And we have a plurality of elders. We also have a senior pastor, which he doesn't go by that title. We just call him that because he's senior. And in every, he's senior in every possible way. I mean, he's been the pastor here literally for generations. He was Chris Hamilton, who's, who's way older than he looks, by the way. Chris Hamilton's parents' pastor. You know, so, I mean, he's just, he's pastored generations here. To say, to say that he has credential or influence would be a, a glorious understatement. I mean, he is so persuasive, and he makes choices, and Yahweh blesses his choices. I mean, it's abundant in your presence here today, uh, abundantly clear. So, you know, he, he's one example of a guy who we trust in, intrinsically with decisions he makes, uh, but he's not a leader who's micromanaging anything. I mean, he is such a gracious, humble leader. He, he's not changing paint colors in, in the different rooms or, or that kind of stuff that some churches, you know, split over. Uh, and I think, that, I think that fundamentally it comes down to the way we use our time differently as staff guys and lay guys and the respect and love and trust that we have towards one another. That, that's something foundational in it. Not to say that this never happens to us. Chris, you should talk a little bit more about that. Uh, it does happen, uh, at least once a day. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and it, in addition to everything you said, I think the, the key element is humility, that the guys who aren't included in the decision need to just relax and understand that um, in the collective wisdom of whoever made the decision, the decision was made, my opinion wasn't important. And I just need to get over my opinion, get over my... Um, angst over that, and that's one of the blessings of serving here at Grace Church is there's 35 men who trust each other and who have the humility to understand that um, those decisions are good decisions yeah. until they're not good decisions. Carlos, talk about, talk about how we stay in our lane and how we don't stay in our lane. I think that might bring some clarity to that as well. I think it's helpful to, to remember, I mean, as lay elders, we are not involved moment to moment and, and so the staff elders know uh, what is going on and sometimes those decisions need to be made on the fly and you're best equipped oftentimes to do that as lay guys i think we like you said just need to be humble and understand that honor that if there is a, a, a strong disagreement we're free to express our concerns and, and that's all it is is a concern but i think me, like you said, staying in my lane is just recognizing that guys like Austin have a lot more information, more time that they can devote to these decisions, and, and I honor that. And what I, what I mean by, and I think that's a great example of it, what I mean by staying in, in our lanes is we have so many diverse ministries here that we're pretty focused in our, our little kind of corner, right? Like you, you have your fellowship group that has hundreds of people in it, that you're concerned about them, and and. It would be very rare that I would be involved in a decision that they're making in their corner. Now, at some smaller churches, they divide the elders' work into portfolios. You know, this is my portfolio and your portfolio. And one of the things I really love and value about our church is if I have a problem with something happening in children's ministry, which I have literally nothing to do with and no idea what happens over there except that my kids go. And... <laughs> 
and I'm grateful. <laughs> those, those are the things I know. I, I know I can, I can cross over lanes and, and go talk to our children's pastor or one of the elders in children's ministry, and, and I would welcome any phone call from any elder about something happening in college ministry because we're all acknowledging we don't have all the information about what's happening in that guy's area of responsibilities. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and the dynamic, one of the fundamental principles here, I think, and we're not going to spend this long on every question, I promise. Um, we're laying groundwork here. But one of the things I always say is you have to make sure that the agenda for the elder meeting is elder work and not deacon work, and the agenda for the deacons is deacon work and not elder work. And that's not just a formal meeting. Um, I think when the color of the carpeting is being picked, um, I need to not care. Um, and that's what Austin's describing about Grace Church is completely accurate. Um, I spent nine years serving as an elder in a, in a much smaller church, and it's much more difficult to maintain that distinction in a small church because you know everything, right? All of you know everything about everything at the church, and you all have an opinion. And if you're married, you live with someone who has an opinion. <laughs> And to to draw the distinction between elder work and deacon work gets really fuzzy sometimes, and I think that's where the trouble comes in, in a small church where everybody knows everything. And I think it's – I use this as an example because I'm an accountant. I love budgets. If you're going to spend a day looking or going through the budget or an evening, you shouldn't call that an elder meeting. You can have all the elders there, but I would be very careful – in not calling that an elder meeting. That's not an elder meeting. That's not in the Bible. The Bible is very clear, really. There's four or five things that elders should be doing. And I'm not saying elders shouldn't be doing a budget, but that's not elder work. So good. And so I would be really careful um, on, you know, if you're struggling in your church about these decisions that are being made by this person and not that person, step back and look at what are the, those decisions really. Are those deacon decisions? Are those administrative decisions? Well, guess what? That's not your role as an elder unless it's been assigned to you. And that's one of the differences between a lay guy and a pastoral guy. The pastoral elders are delegated administrative function by necessity, um, even down to cleaning the, the bathroom if need be. MacArthur used to do that around here, I understand, back in the late 60s. Um, um, but administrative functions are done by um, pastoral elders, lay elders, um, um, not so much sometimes just because of time commitment. So elder work is elder work. Deacon work is deacon work. There can be crossover, but be very careful about how, how hot and bothered you're going to get over a non-elder decision that was made that you weren't consulted That's good on. good advice. Okay. Uh, Tom, you had a question. Okay, so this is a little bit uh, different twist on the same question. Um, you're transitioning from one guy's in charge of everything to a plurality of elders. How do you make that transition to, to do what we're talking about here, a division of labor, if you will, and a d division of decision-making, right? Okay. I just want to repeat what Chris said uh, a second ago because I think it was maybe some guys missed it. I think when we talk about these things, 
we're most often thinking about things that are not elder work. You know, managing staff, secretaries, hours. And I know somebody has to answer for these things. But if you fundamentally understand what an elder does, 1 Peter 5, 1, so I exhort the elders, there's more than one, among you, they live in that same church. They're not a board of directors of influential friends who live in a different city. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. That's that word poimen, right? That, that pastoral word. And that's the very heart and the first directive given to elders is they shepherd the flock of God that is, again, repeated, among you, exercising oversight. Context is spiritual oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Recalibrating, and I think this is what you're saying, your elders to think like shepherds, to think like pastors, not like CEOs, not like administrators. When I say I'm going into somebody's lane for children's ministry, it's not because I don't like the cartoon characters in the curriculum. It's because I have a personal concern, a shepherd's concern, a pastoral concern. And I'm confident they're going to have a good answer for that because they care for those people. I wasn't bringing some technical thing about, you know, the kiosk check-in. I mean, that doesn't, ultimately, that's easy to fix that stuff unless you're having some kind of power struggle over it. But maybe what would help your question is, I think, how we manage staff here. That, that, may, that may kind of help because you're talking about staff management. And we have a pretty specific way we do that in a larger context. But Yeah, but I also think he's talking about now sharing decision-making I think that's more what he's talking about, sharing decision-making where one guy used to make all the decisions. And I think what you just said answers that. I think um, the one guy who has been making all the decisions and the folks who are going to come in and share that decision-making need to understand we're not talking about operational Mm decision-making. We're talking about decisions as it relates to um, the ministry of the word, prayer, guarding and protecting the church, um, shepherding. Um, so that your elder board isn't described in Ezekiel 34 um, and in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, those are the decisions now that are shared. And those, I, I, I was about to say, those aren't significantly difficult decisions. And I'm going to, I guess I will say that because I just did. And the reason is because your basis for any of those decisions is the Word of God. Yeah. You know, the other decisions that you might want to start sharing, they're not in the Bible, so there's not really. Um, I don't get as concerned about those, frankly. I get really concerned about, am I going to comply with the Word of God, what it specifically says, um, and the rest of it. I'll, I'll help with the decision if I'm asked, but that's not my, my main that, that's, thing. That's so helpful because, and that's what, as a staff guy who is, who's, you know, it, I work here, and these guys have actual life skills. You know, they're, they're employed elsewhere. It's just fundamentally different than other churches that I've worked at because of the implicitly spiritual emphasis of the elder board here, which I give a lot of credit to our pastor for 
laying that emphasis on and for those who lead our elders meetings for making sure that the right stuff is on the agenda, which Chris does so well, in making sure that that's the emphasis. There's just this implicit trust that we have and an implicit or a, or a, a very clear directed authority slash priority that we're supposed to do shepherd work here. And that's what we're concerned about. And these guys are so not easily offended when you when when they encounter stuff, all the stuff that's not elder work, that the stuff that has very little to do with souls, the accounting stuff and the management stuff, they, they're so easy to work with in that regard because that's not where they're getting their definition of eldership from. Right. And I think that's unusual because everybody wants to transfer over their business acumen and their accounting prowess. And we're grateful for guys that can do that kind of stuff. Praise God. I don't touch the accounting around here. Amen. Amen. Yeah, on my part, I'm grateful for our staff elders that they are dealing with all those administrative issues and and I don't have to. And now I am free to do what I think an elder should be doing, praying, teaching, shepherding souls. And and I'm grateful that they don't really bring us in on that. I, I don't care what color the carpet is. I don't care what day of the week certain events are held. I, I defer to them on that. And in many ways, I'm grateful to them that they handle that, and I'm free to shepherd souls because they do that extra work. Yeah, and if you think about leadership in, in the culture, business leadership, political leadership, um, athletic leadership, um, leadership is based on results. It's, it's highly scrutinized. Um, there's all kinds of definitions of, of leadership. To, today, you can look at a football coach and say, he's successful, so I need to lead like him, and he's a screamer. And 10 years ago, you had the soft and, and, and uh, sweet head coach that was winning, and that dictated the culture of, well, that's good leadership. Um, and, but the bottom line is secular leadership um, is defined by results. When you go to spiritual leadership, it is a completely different criteria. I, you can't find anywhere in the Bible where spiritual leadership is evaluated by results. It's, re, it's evaluated by qualification and function. 2 Timothy 4 lays out in the first few verses so succinctly what a pastor slash elder is to be doing, not what it would result in. Nowhere in there is results. So when you bring lay guys on, I'll use myself or Carlos as an example. We're coming out of a business world or a legal world. I have partners. Um, um, I've got employees. I'm evaluated every day by my clients and my partners about what? Performance. And, and I know how to run a business, and it's really hard for a guy like me. And I'm saying this so you, those of you who are pastors who are bringing lay guys on, it is a very hard transition for me to come on an elder board and not see it as a board of directors meeting or, in my world, a partner meeting where we're going to balance the budget, we're going to get efficient, we're going to save money, um, we're going to hire some people, and we're going to fire some people, and we're going to get this place in, in ship, uh, top-notch top shape. It's not what an elder board is. And so some of the um, transition of a lay guy coming on your elder board is training them to change how they view leadership, what the context of leadership is in the church. Um, I just think that's really important, and that might be helpful also. 
Chris okay. has got to make a profit at his his accounting firm. Yep. We, the three of us, the thirty eight of us, however many elders is it is. How many are there? I don't know. You know, I'm not in charge. Again, not accounting. <laughs> I don't do accounting. So we are thinking about Colossians one twenty eight. You know, we aim to present every man complete in Christ, a goal that we cannot accomplish one that we are entirely dependent on God for, and one that we can't really know the results of our earthly efforts until we stand before God at the Bema seat. That's what he says. When, well, that's what Chris is saying when he says, you know, how do you gauge success in ministry? It's easy to gauge, you know? I mean, you're your own bad guys in jail. Right. Boom. You know, when I came on the elder board, I was very surprised at how the elder board meeting was run. I, I expected certain things. I expected a lot more conversation on administration, budgets, and whatnot. That actually is a small part, and a large part of our elders meeting is just going down through the names of people that we want to minister to, and that was really refreshing to see. All right. Who's next? Yes, sir. I'll help you. Okay, excellent, excellent, excellent question. There's the question for the ages right there. What does the life of a lay elder look like? And what are the expectations of a lay elder in comparison to a pastoral elder? Is that a good summary? That's a great question. Carlos, what does your life look like? How do you do it? Because you're busy. Yeah, I, I think we make time for what, what is important for us, right? Um, so I, I don't have a lot of leisure time. Um, and my leisure time is serving at church, and that's what I love to do. I really liked what, what Chris said. I don't view my role all that differently from the staff guys. The staff guys have more of the administration and whatnot. But I became an elder because I wanted to do ministry. I, I wanted to teach. I wanted to shepherd. I wanted to counsel. So what does it look like for a lay guy? You have your day job, but um, a lot of your spare time, uh, aside from your family, which obviously you want to tend to, um, the rest of your time is devoted to, to doing what you love to do, and that's being a pastor. Um, I, I, I think a lot of guys want to become an elder because it gives them the title. Um, and, and Chris has oftentimes said that, look, to be an elder, it, it's a verb. We elder. You know, we, we get down and dirty. We minister um, it's not like we come to free up Austin to do ministry. We are doing ministry alongside him. So if you have that desire, it's hugely rewarding. If you just want the title, because I suppose there are benefits that come with the title, but if that's all you want, you're going to be very, very frustrated. But I, I think you, you just need a, a pastor's heart, and, and that's where you spend your time. Yeah, and I think it's important to always remember that the qualifications between for an elder or a pastor are the same. The function 
of an elder, whether it's a pastoral elder or a lay elder, are the same. Yep, no okay. degrees on that list either of qualifications. That's right. Those are the same. So I am to, called by God in his word clearly to be functioning the same way that Austin is. It's intimidating, isn't it? Lay guys, amen? <laughs> That's intimidating. What the Bible doesn't say is that I'm going to have the same influence as an Austin Duncan. What the Bible doesn't say is that I'm to spend the same amount of time at it as Austin. And, um, and those are practical, very practical differences. And by the way, Austin and I and Carlos are not going to have the same personality. And, and you have to leave room for the differences in personality. From a practical standpoint, though, if you're making the transition to be an elder, a lay elder, you are transitioning, Carlos said it well, to be a pastor. The pastoral elders need to see it that way. You need to see it that way. The church needs to understand it that way. That, by definition, changes your day-to-day life. Okay? So I'm not necessarily going to be involved in, the, in uh, I'm not going to give examples. My involvement in church changed when I became an elder. And part of it was, for example, I get up 5.30 Saturday morning. I'm usually getting up to study because I'm teaching in the next week. Um, sometimes I'm jetting home from church on Sunday afternoon. I'm bypassing involvement with the body here because I got to get home and study um, because I'm teaching twice this week. Um, there, and why, why do I tell you that? Because that's what you t- pay your pastor to do. You're supposed to be doing the exact same thing, guys. We're all supposed to be in the Word, doing the ministry of the Word. That means preparation, not just getting up in front of a group of people and preaching and teaching. So by definition, you're giving up some ministry to become an elder. And if you're, if you're not in that to win that, don't do it. Um, you, the Lord may be calling you to be a deacon. So the day-to-day life of a, um, of a lay elder is in some ways like a pastor, except I, have, I am divided in my loyalties. Um, my loyalties are to the church. My loyalties are also to um, my clients, in my case, and my partners. I answer to them, and I work with them and for them 40 to 60 hours a week. So everything else is over and above that. And I will say I love our, our staff pastors because they're willing to let the lay men do that too. They're not possessive about their ministries. They're willing to let us come alongside them and and view us as fellow pastors. And I'm intensely grateful for that. And a word to the pastors, you know, the professionals in the room. Uh, And I say that with full sarcasm. Uh, Why in the world would you be possessive about ministry with Ephesians 4.12 in your Bible? Isn't our work to equip them for the work of the ministry? I mean, what makes you so important or special? It's a body. That's what the church is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, John MacArthur's not the head of the church. He's never claimed it. That's right. He's, he's been quick to point Jesus in that role. That's, that's who occupies that seat. Okay. Over on the side there. Accounting, I'm out. <laughs> you used the word ratio, and Austin just about fell off the... Okay, the question is uh, about the ratio between uh, staff elders and uh, lay elders. And uh, 
You I don't know. I'm going to defer to Chris on that. Well, I, okay. Um, I'm the accountant. I'll take that one. Um, and I'll say this. There's nothing in the Bible that says anything about that. And if you remember that there is no difference between lay elders and pastoral elders, who cares? Right? So I re- recognize politically in some churches that's a big deal. And I think this is one way to take the politics right on out of that. This is another reason to look at your bylaws and make sure your bylaws aren't forcing you into arguments that aren't biblical arguments. So if your bylaws say that for every 100 members you have to have an elder, for example, that's not in the Bible. If, the, if your bylaws say that you can't have more pastoral elders than you have lay elders, that's not in the Bible. You need to obey the law. You need to obey your bylaws to be faithful and, and submit um, because that's what you've told the state you are going to do. But maybe you need to go through the process of amending your bylaws um, because a lot of arguments are created by those kinds of documents and by tradition that when you look at it, it's just not in the Bible. And I don't know why you want to argue over things that aren't in the Bible. It's not worth the energy. Um, okay. Anything you guys want to add? Okay. Yes, sir. In the back. Okay, the question's for Austin. How do you equip college students for their future as churchmen? I think there's a foundational aspect of that that I would say has to exist before I can think about uh, the future elders of, and not just of Grace Church. With college students, we have kids that are from all over, that have come from all over to go to UCLA or USC or or the Masters University, these schools that we minister on their campuses, these kids that come to our church are from all over. And so I can't assume that, one, I know where they're coming from in their ecclesiology or in their Christianity, or two, I know where they're going to end up. Some may stay here much longer than than they anticipated. Some may, you know, stay at this church for life and become an elder. And so I'm mindful of that, but my first priority is to make sure that they understand the gospel and then that they love the church. So I'm trying to build them out of our college ministry in an ultimate way and into the church in a, in a full way. So I can't make elders. I never want to make elders. God can't, God, God's the only one that can do that. I can't make elders, but I, I can teach and instill and provoke and model a love for the corporate gathering that I think is often missing or not well accented in a parachurch kind of effort on campuses. So I think that's how I'd answer that at first. And then there's things I do in the rhythms of ministry that are intentionally training of men. And our church is a little weird because we have taking up a good amount of parking spaces, a seminary building. So we have a very formalized way of training elders in the parking lot, and then we have more uh, informal ways that would be common with all your churches. In uh, I meet with a group of 40 guys or so on Tuesday mornings at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I am, I am trying to get them to think biblically, which is fundamentally what an elder does. I'm not, I'm not, I don't call it like lay elder, future maybe training or, or anything like that, but I, I don't know. You, you know me better than I know me. Is that the right answer?
It's a great answer. He asked you, so that's the answer. Yeah, no, I think I think what you're saying is we don't te- we don't teach towards being an elder. I think we teach and we shepherd towards training men to be teachers and shepherds, disciplers, discipled. And someday when they're in this church or some other church and you hang the elder label on them, it's what they are already doing. And I think that's probably that probably drives what you're doing in Crossroads. And we, we are training future church leadership mo- more than anything else for other churches by, by virtue of what happens in, in that room on Sunday mornings. Uh, they're not staying here. They're going back to their home in Illinois or wherever. And so are so many of you, you know, you're, you're ministering to guys in the military. You're, uh, you have people in your church who their jobs relocate them. And if you listen to Azurdia yesterday in his breakout seminar, he, he talked about that real pointedly uh, about not seeing those things as subtractions of your ministry. Instead, look at the, the contribution that God's allowing you to make to his kingdom in such a, a global and impactful way. I know those subtractions hurt. They hurt us regularly. Uh, but it's become just one of the rhythms of ministry here that we've come to love because we can see, uh, especially at Shepherd's Conference, when they all come back to the mothership, uh, you know, just the work that God's done through these guys. Yeah, and I think, you know, the whole idea of training for eldership is something that we should all be doing with all men anyways, right? Routinely, we look at First Timothy chapter 3, and we're just asking ourselves, how do we, you know, help these men grow into those qualities, whether or not they become elders or not, is not so much the point. Is it's is Christ made more complete in them, and that's a goal we have for all the people. Is just help them reach the qualifications of an elder, whether they become one or not, and that's a worthy goal. Okay. Yes, sir. Yep. Great question. And uh, let me rephrase it this way. In a small church, how do you stay in your lane? Right? Okay. You're both looking at me. I... It's great having you know what? It's a great question. I mean, how do you get how do you get stuff done? Because it's like, well, that's that's not shepherding. I can't touch that. Right. And and the and the answer is in the question. That's a normal church. That's Grace Church. The three of us and the other thirty-two elders are involved in deacon work. Or, you know, when the bathroom needs to be cleaned up between services because something went wrong. If you're there, you jump in and you take care of it. Um, if somebody's on the patio and, the, and um, they have a question and they need counseling, you do it. Um, and that's just normal Christianity. That's body life. But I think the, the, the point we're trying to make is when you have elders, you want to free them up to the uh, degree you can for the ministry of the word and prayer. And you want to have the other people to understand in their ecclesiology that they can do things to help free those men up to do that for the advancement of the kingdom and the strengthening of the church and the benefit of the saints. Um, it's not always clean. 
and and I understand that I've been in a smaller church and everybody knows everything and um, some you know the lights don't work in the main sanctuary and that makes all seven elders lose sleep. Um, where here we call the facilities department and we go on with life. So it is very very different and I get that. But um, you, you serve the church. I like that. That's good. That's good. Yes. It's a great question. The question is, do you attempt to um, facilitate deeper relationships between the elders in the elder meeting? Um, and, well, do you want me to, do you guys want to talk about how we do that, or you want me just to, you guys just want me to jump in? Um, that is not the primary goal of our elder meeting, but I will tell you that when you bring a group of pastors together, and what you do is you talk about the Word of God and shepherding people, and we sing together, we pray together at an elders meeting, um, I think um, by experience and by biblical definition that builds um, tremendous bond uh, between the men and when you wrestle through difficult um, church discipline issues or you you wrestle through a doctrinal issue that everybody's not necessarily on the same page and then you get to the same page or you go through the process of making a decision and not everybody in the room necessarily agrees but for the sake of unanimity, I'm going to go along with the group, and you walk out of that room, and nobody outside of that room knows that I disagree with that decision. That tends to um, deepen relationships, and I think on the right level. I think the danger is you don't want to make elder meetings social events, um, and the danger is particularly in a small church that you create a – it's great when the guys love each other and even like each other. The danger is everyone else is on the outside of that circle looking in. And I think that's what you have to be really, really careful of, that you you create unknowingly and out of all the right motivations, you create an in-crowd and an out-crowd. And the in-crowd is the one that comes to church on Thursday nights for an elder meeting. Um, so that's the danger. Anything you guys want to add? Yeah, and I just think it really does matter that our pastor gives such excellent leadership. And it doesn't hurt our feelings that people call him the pastor. In fact, here's a story. The other day, they put on the live stream. Yeah, they put on the live stream uh, that when I was I was sweating, they put on the live stream or preaching, whatever you want to call it. uh, They put on their first. They said I was Ligon Duncan, which is funny on Twitter. You should look at it. And Chancellor of the Reformed Theological Seminary, which I think would be a pay dump. I think that'd be a pay bump. Uh, They can look. They can look that up on the Twitter. So it's funny. (laughs) So. That was the first mistake. The second mistake was they, they corrected it, and they put Austin Duncan, Pastor, Grace Community Church. <laughs> Look, we're big on that's the... What, that's what I did. I was sitting in my office working <laughs> with him and on in the background, and that's exactly what I did. I missed a meeting. Who, who died? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'll be in New Mexico if you're looking for me. So... No, so I mean that that's we all acknowledge his his leadership and we're thankful for it and he really does provide our church spiritual direction which is not a group decision. You know that it's not we don't micro he doesn't micromanage the staff and the other pastors, but he does lead us really well. And, and I think that that's something that uh, sometimes an 
overemphasis and plurality can lead to an absence of leadership. And I say that really carefully because you know who's doing the, who, you know who's emphasizing plurality so much? It's MacArthur. He's the one that's pushing plurality, plurality. He's never once asserted, I am the senior pastor. It's not his title. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want to be the architect of culture and vision or, you know, none of those titles. <laughs> he, he's, he's the one looking at, at the shepherds, but he's showing us where to go. And, and predominantly, he does that through his teaching in the pulpit. And the reason I'm saying this is what unites us here is we, as the elders, and I don't think it happens at a meeting. I just think what unites us is we love this church because we love Jesus and his people. And we love our pastor with dear affection. And, and I think that that leads to loving the work of the ministry and loving each other. And I mean, we don't get to have lunch together that much. We get to have dinner together once a month at the elders meeting. And that's just, and that's just, that's just a good hang. There's no agenda at that, but we don't get with a church like this and with the diversity of ministries we're in, I don't get to hang out with Carlos, but we can have dinner once a month. I'm sitting at your table this month. Okay. Just resolved. And I'm convinced that the unity on the elder board happens long before you get together on the elder board. Um, you know, I, I read this one article once about how do you create unity within the elder board. And I know they're well-meaning, but they talked about uh, dinners at each other's homes, uh, going out for field trips or whatever it is. Um, and I think there is the danger of creating the in crowd and the out crowd. And there's the danger of becoming too personally close where because you are so close, if your brother says something that you're not comfortable with, you, it's harder to maybe challenge him. But I think when, look, all of you are united, right? You come from all over the world. You don't know each other, but there's an instant bond because you are like-minded. You have a common faith, a common love. You look at Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have no one else of kindred spirit. And that's made up, kindred is two words. It means one life or consistent life. He says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. I sit in that elder board meeting and I so love those 35 men, not because I've spent a lot of time with them, but I just know they would die for truth. Um, one of the, the most amazing meetings I came out of, we were wrestling through a counseling issue and we weren't unanimous that night. We were unanimous the next couple nights, but I was just so amazed as I watched 35 men wrestling through the issue. And the constant question was, what's the biblical answer? And we couldn't get to the answer that night. But I went home almost with tears in my eyes thinking, these men love the Lord so much. They love scripture so much. And my heart is knit to theirs. Um, and that's where the unity comes. So I think if you want real unity on the elder board, it happens long before the elders ever meet. And it happens at the most foundational level of who do you put on the elder board? Are you putting qualified men who meet the first Timothy chapter three qualifications? Are you putting on men who uh, will die on those hills that, that you need to die on, but are so gracious and humble that they'll defer on everything else? Um, I, I, I see, you know, the elders on our elder board are, are really interesting to me. You, you have a lot of very successful men. Um, if Pastor John wasn't a, a senior pastor, he'd be some phenomenal businessman. He's, he's just that gifted. 
And I would say that of all. In charge of like South America. The world, like yeah. A bunch of <laughs> judicial, yes. military. Yes, yeah, and, and they'd be prospering. Yeah. But. Um, the blessing of Yahweh, I guess. Yes. Whatever, yeah, I know. But you have, you have a lot of very um, motivated men and very accomplished men, and you watch them defer over and over and over again. And I've heard a number of elders say things like this, I want to submit to my elders. And I've heard a couple of our elders say that. And that has really humbled me that, yes, those men are also my elders, and I need to submit to them. So, yeah, I, I think that unity doesn't necessarily come through dinners. It comes from having the same convictions. When you have men who love the Lord, how, how do you not love each other? That's why you men, when you run into each other, you know, year after year, you see each other once a year, but there's that fond affection. That's where the unity comes, not so much through dinners or field trips. Back row. Great. So the premise of that question is truth, which is once you become an elder, you have not crossed the line. You are still a work in process. How do you continue to develop and sharpen um, yourself, the elders as a group? I, I think it's a self-watch. I mean, you became an elder because you love the Lord and, and you have striven for holiness. That doesn't change when you join the elder board. Uh, I, I suppose th there is the accountability. I, I don't want to sin in mostly because I don't want to disappoint my Lord. I also don't want to disappoint the men I, I work alongside of. But it, it's just a, it's your personal walk. It's that self-watch. And sure, we encourage each other and pray for each other and read books and, and recommend books. But I think it, it's that personal walk with the Lord. And if the elders are functioning, they're teaching. And if you're teaching, you better be studying. And I, I don't want to go over that too fast. Um, an elder who is not teaching is not studying, and an elder who's not teaching isn't an elder. Um, I'll, I'll say that pretty bluntly because I think the Bible is pretty clear. Why would you have a qualification for an elder to teach? And, for example, Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God. And Acts 20 talks about teaching um, not necessarily from the pulpit, but publicly and what else? House to house. That takes um, preparation. So that's, I'm, I'm saying that to go along with Carlos. I think it's self-driven. Um, one of the things I do here, and by the way, when we talk about what we do here, we are not elevating that to biblical authority, okay? I, I just want to make that really, really clear. We're not saying this is what you should do. Um, it is um, given for your edification and something to think about. But one of the things is the guy who runs the meeting, um, I probably annoy uh, my friend John because every few months I'll say, John, give us a list of the books you're reading. I don't know if I – did I talk about that yesterday? No. Okay. Um, and the reason I do that is I want to be reading what my pastor is reading, and I want the elders to be reading what John's reading, and that's yet another way that John shepherds us. And he reads really good books, by the way. Um, Really interesting. And I figured it out after doing that a few times. I have Amazon open on my iPad in front of me. And I pretty much know what John's reading before I ask him that in an elders meeting. And so I have the books up. And when he starts talking about a book, I just watch everybody around the tables ordering the book. Um, and I think that's awesome. 
and it doesn't have to be your senior pastor, but I think if, if you guys um, are just reading the same thing the senior pastor is reading, I think that's one way to unify the elder board and to get everybody in moving in the same direction. So that's just an idea. Okay? Yes, over here. Either of you two, yeah. Okay, great question. The question is, is the elder board a um, board of directors? And ours is, under the state of California, we're required to have a board of directors that doubles as the elder board. One of the, the five things I think that um, the Bible says should be on the agenda of the elder meeting is compliance with the law. And so we are required by the state of California, and you are too by whatever state you're in, um, to do certain organizational things at that level, um, thank you. Um, so th the bylaws, the bylaws drive all of that. Um, whatever your bylaws say, you need to be doing from an integrity standpoint and from a compliance with, with the law standpoint. And I highly recommend it doesn't become a dominant part of your meeting. And maybe it doesn't happen more than but once every uh, 12 meetings. But you need to be complying with that. And if your bylaws say that you have a finance committee, you need to have a finance committee. If you don't want to have a finance committee, you need to make sure your bylaws don't say you have to have one. Okay, I think we've talked about that. So here at Grace Church, we have a finance committee. It doesn't do the budget. The budget's done by the staff. Um, it, it, you know, the finance committee is to make sure on a very broad level that the future of Grace Church um, is being stewarded carefully from a financial standpoint. That's it. Um, the budget at Grace Church gets... Those are elders on the finance committee. Yes, right. The, uh, the budget is in excess of $20 million a year, and it probably gets about five minutes um, in an elder meeting. That's it. If it goes much beyond that, most of the elder board is texting me um, saying, can we move this along? I want to go home. Um, why? Because they don't care. They care. I shouldn't say that. But they know they're not there to do a budget. We're there to talk about the ministry of the word and prayer and shepherding the people. Okay? All right. Yes. That's you. Yeah. Okay. This is going to be the last question. It's a great question. Let's deal with unanimity. Um, what, talk to us about the uh, search and the pursuit of unanimity. Is it in the Bible? Is it required? What uh, what requires unanimity? And how do you get there? Yeah, we we have unanimity. I think it's biblical. If you have uh, however many number of men who are led by the Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit's not going to contradict himself. So we, stri we do demand unanimity. I think you get there by, um, if it's a matter of principle, then you, you argue for that principle graciously, lovingly. If it's a matter of preference, you defer. And it's, it's amazing how quickly you reach unanimity if you do that. Yeah. Um, my, one of my roles here at Grace is to run the meetings. And so I'm very practical about that in two ways. One is I don't put on the agenda attempting to reach unanimity on things that I don't think, um, can I say it this way, God cares about? The color of the carpeting? I don't think that should require unanimity. 
And forcing an elder board to come to unanimity, um, sorry, one of my work. Um, um, one of the things that divides an elder board is you, you spend so much capital on attempting to reach unanimity on the color of the paint on the walls so that when you get to the issues that matter, there's all kinds of culture and um, interpersonal struggles and strains that go into that discussion that don't need to be there. Um, and so we protect the agenda. Um, the second thing I do is if something's coming to the elder board and I know this is a hot one, I'm on the phone um, with many, many of the elders or I'm in personal conversation with many of the elders and if I anticipate that we are not going to reach unanimity, we will still have the conversation, but I will not push for that vote. Um, that's my role as chairman, um, and if that's your role in your church, it's something to think about. Or if you think there's going to be unanimity and there obviously isn't, Pull the plug quickly. I don't think uh, the elder meeting is the place to have that all-out conflict. You know who the, the, um, the differences are. You go to them later and say, hey, can you guys get together, um, you know, work it through, and let's come back together next month. Unanimity only exists practically in our elder board because deference exists. Correct. So... We are very happy to agree, and not agree to disagree, but just to agree to agree. And so, you know, if, if it's clear to me that I'm the only one who thinks this way, I'm going to change the way I think. So I'm, I'm walking out of that meeting. I'm voting I when we do Robert's Rules of Orders. I'm not voting nay. I'm not muttering. I'm not going, uh, because I, I just... I don't think you really have unanimity if you don't have deference and trust. Yeah, and that deference comes from trust, and that trust comes from picking qualified men. Yeah. yeah. And it's based on integrity that when you walk out of that room, you aren't whispering to the right people, right. yeah, but, I said yeah. yes, but exactly. I'm with exactly. you. That's big. That'll divide a church. And that divides a church because the elder board is divided. Um, you divide the leadership, the church will follow. You maintain unity at the elder level, you will maintain a unified church. Um, I want to compliment you. You guys decided how this was going to go, and you asked, I think, outstanding questions. Really appreciate it. Let me close our time in prayer. Lord, thank you for these men. Thank you for uh, having them here at Grace Church. Lord, you know we love having them here. We're grateful to you for the opportunity to get to know these men. I pray that you would encourage their hearts, that you would send them from this conference um, excited, challenged, and committed to following your word in all of these issues. In Christ's name, amen.